Hello, everybody. Welcome to Inside Trek. This is the Mangum Talks podcast where we trek through the world of Star Trek. I'm your host, Leah. I'm here. I'm joined by my co-host, BJ. BJ, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm excited, BJ. We've done a lot of pods together, but we've never done one-on-one pods together. It's never been you, me, everybody else stiff-armed out of the conversation, <laughs> but we have it here. We are going to dive into the world of Star Trek. I have. I know nothing about Star Trek to the point, yep. to the point, you didn't even know this, that I just learned that Patrick Stewart's name is Picard today when I watched it for the first time. I didn't know that. I couldn't tell you what William Shatner's character's name is. I don't know anything. The only thing I've ever been told, uh, my only frame of reference, is that Star Trek is a little bit more believable science fiction than uh, my beloved Star Wars, which is much more fantasy. That's what I've been told. Yeah, I I think that that's sort of a fair uh, read on that. Um, It's also sort of interesting because, I mean, we've talked about uh, the ethos of embracing nerddom and you know at, we've sort of talked about that with you know various book series and things like that and and i realized that this is sort of one of the the pillars i would say of of that of like the sci-fi fantasy uh convention space that it, it honestly really surprised me that you just haven't haven't dipped your toes in at all yeah i mean i grew up in an in a household that did that did none of this, right? Yeah. That did. Uh, there was no fantasy. There was no diving into. That. There, was a, there was a little bit of Star Wars. I did watch Star Wars, but it's not like um, I had people in my house reading high fantasy. I didn't know what Tolkien was. I didn't know what Lord of the Rings was. Uh, yeah. None of this stuff, right? So, um, and then I got to college, and I was more of a sports fan. And yeah. what I have learned is that the um, the quote nerd space. I, I know that they've accepted that term. I don't, I don't love it because it's still pejorative in some circles, but like the fantasy space mm-hmm. um, is extremely fun. It's cool. It's not. Um, yeah. It's, it's a much more sustainable good time for me. So I, 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 I want to dive into this. And so I've, I've been to some of these conventions. I went to dragon con last year and there is an entire floor dedicated to star Trek of, of one of the hotels, like um, in the meeting spaces. It's like, this is yep. the star Trek area. I knew nothing about it. I avoided it. I appreciate you trying to bring me along. Yeah. Um, and so I think there are a couple of, uh, I mean, I grew, grew up watching star Trek with my family. Um, I think that they were already into star Trek way before me. The original series uh, is old. Um, and so um, this is the second show that I started out within Star Trek. Um, and when it came out, this was sort of the heyday of Star Trek. Let's say what uh, the show is. I don't think people know what the, what we're, what we're covering. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're doing Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Woo. Um, and the reason that I chose it is, um, it's a, it is in my opinion, sort of the most considered Star Trek, um, but it was interestingly very poorly received as when it started out because it's a very different show compared to both the original series and The Next Generation. I think the next genera- Star Trek The Next Generation is sort of the what everybody thinks of when they think of Star Trek. Um, I think it's definitely worth watching. You know, I'm uh, hopefully this is a world that you get into and, and we, you know, continue down these, uh, uh, plunge the depths, but that show is a lot more, uh, situation of the week. Um, Mm -hmm. and they're incredibly good episodes, but you know, it's not long story arcs. 
Um, it's uh, it's less character driven, um, and also this show has um, a lot more in terms of interpersonal interactions and a lot of interesting politics. Um, and so it sort of really more develops the world, uh, the greater world of uh, the Star Trek universe and sort of what it's like to live in that universe rather than like be on a ship that's wandering around. Yeah, I got you. Um, so I'll, so obviously I've seen the first episode, which is in effect a movie. It's an hour yeah. and a half of content. I think it probably aired over two hours on television. Yep. Um, I've, I've seen that now. I'd like to, to start with my expectations versus what I saw. Um, okay. And I'll do that for the first maybe few episodes until I get sort of my arms around the world and then my expectations will be long in the rearview mirror and it won't matter. Yeah. Um, and then maybe we can go to a recap and then we'll do a couple segments at the end. Um, that sounds good. That w- over time will will shift as we can, because I know there's a ton of these episodes of Deep Space Nine, like a hundred and something. Um, yep. And then there's, you know, other TV shows. So we'll, we'll figure out how we're going to cover all that in the future. And I'm sure that our segments will change. But I think the general concept of the pod is I'm completely uninitiated. You're initiated. You're bringing me along. You're showing me the Star Trek universe for the first time, and we'll try to figure it out um, yeah, together. So I, I'll, I'll tell you the, the, the tagline here. So I expected this to be difficult, complicated, hard for me to understand. It was none of those things. Uh, th- yes, of course, when you're there like, touch phaser beam 7722, I don't know all that, but I know generally what they're doing. Yep. I was able to pick up on the story much faster than I expected. I felt like I knew what was going on the whole time. I feel like I'm set up to watch the series. All of the things I had heard sort of tangentially about Star Trek, that it's like uber complicated and that, you know, only nerds are into it. And it's, you know, you got to like basically be a science major to understand it. None of that held true for this episode for me. It felt like, I mean, there is a part of this episode. There's like 20 minutes of this episode that is nothing but a sort of Buddhist lesson in continuing to relive trauma, that continuing to do it to yourself and what it means to actually move past something which is innately human, which isn't remotely about aliens or fancy tech or jumping from wormhole to this or that. That stuff seemed to me, and I suspect this holds true, to be the, the world that it's in, but they tell stories within that that are very human. That's what it felt like. Yeah, and so... That that is one of the reasons that I chose this series. That it it's a it's more. Um, I mean, none of them are are particularly like super heavy in, in science. Like the the science is basically magic, um, and it they I would say they did they definitely had consultants on some science things, but they sort of had somebody in the '90s and who progressed from there. Um, but, um, this is also widely regarded as one of the better, uh, pilots, uh, of Star Trek. Um, and, and I will say, uh, you know, maybe we'll get some pushback. I have not watched a lot of the newer Star Trek. Um, and like, I haven't seen like the whole thing. So I haven't seen... Like the most recent, so Picard is like the newest iteration of Star Trek, um, and then there are basically a couple of other shows that you know I watch some of, but um, 
I'm going to be one of those sort of old curmudgeons and, you know, it has a different feel. It's a different type of show. Um, but, but yeah, this is, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, this is sort of why, why I chose this and, and I'm glad that, that this was like your reception of it. Uh, so I said yet in the middle of that, when you said you haven't watched it, because I think that something my friends who have lived in the fantasy you know, universes for their a long time and are introducing me to a lot of this stuff have figured out about me is that like, for example, you introduced me to wheel of time. Cause you were like, Hey, the Amazon's doing the show. Maybe I can yeah. just get you to watch the show. Um, and it's a give a mouse a cookie situation because then I started reading the books and now I'm all, I'm almost through the books, about yeah. two thirds of the way through the books. I've got multiple maps. I've got the Wheel of Time companion. I'm asking <laughs> you deep lore questions. I'm follow. I'm, I'm, I'm diving into like YouTube yeah. videos. So there's not like a, there's not like a hey uh, Lee, we'll just like watch a little Star Trek. Like that's probably not going to happen, which you know. <laughs> so sure. As we uh, go, we may I mean, end if we up do really it week by week. <laughs> we've got like ten years of this and and uh, the next generation. So well, we'll have uh, to talk about that, we'll right? Because there's a chance that we could start coupling some episodes together if oh. if we feel like we need to. Um, but there I think might that... be some that I try and convince you to skip too, because there are. Uh, there are generously rated like five and sixes on IMDb that just they're a filler episode. I like, I, you know, I guess they had like 26 episodes a, a season. It's five seasons and some of them are problem problematic. I don't suspect I'm skipping anything, but I, I think that's that for the purposes of the podcast, we probably could group them together. We could yeah. say, Oh, let's do episode 10 through 15. Yeah. Um, 15 through 20, that sort of thing. Um, I'm totally good with that idea. But this first episode felt like a made for TV movie. Yeah. Um, but it was, I think, well constructed and I was really interested. Uh, so I think if the goal was let's put some catnip out there, let's see, let's see how he does. Um, yeah. It worked. Uh, I'm in. I, I'm excited to watch the second episode. Do you want to jump in and recap? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, John Luc Picard, who apparently is Patrick Stewart's character. I know I'm breaking news here for most people. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm the last person in America to learn this. Was kidnapped, was surgically altered, and is now attacking our heroes. This is the first 30 seconds of this damn show. Blew my mind. Is this a backstory you knew already? Is that, Did they just introduce this already? Like, what, How did yeah. this come about? So uh, this uh, is kind of in media arrest and also is... Uh, like placing everybody in like uh, placing this show in the bigger lore of uh, Star Trek. So in the next generation, um, and this is a huge spoiler, I guess, uh, when presumably we'll go back and watch that, but the, the captain of the Enterprise gets captured by the enemies and basically turned to the dark side. Yeah, he's surgically uh, altered. Yep. And uh, there's this huge battle um, where tons and tons of Starfleet ships show up to battle the this Borg cube, this, and uh, it it kind of wrecks ship. Like it it it, it does. It is uh, one of the biggest threats to uh, the the entire quadrant of space that humans and and pretty much everybody we meet is in. Um, and so that's setting 
the background for uh, our current, well, he's called Commander, but our current captain uh, that we're going to be following. Cisco. So, yeah, so we cut to the attack. Looks like they're in trouble. We see some explosions. Um, and we see Benjamin Cisco running mm-hmm. around. He's trying to find his kid. Then he's trying to find his wife. Yep. Um, wife is dead. We, we see that. Uh, just a, like they, they, they do little things to show you the tech, right? There is a scanner that detects if the person's alive or not. They scan her. Mm-hmm. She's not alive. Uh, they pull, they drag him out of there. Big L for them. That is exactly what I expected though. I thought that this sequence of Picard getting um, surgically kidnapped, surgically altered, attacking the heroes was something that had happened before. And that Cisco is now being introduced as a character. We probably did not see in that original battle. And right. now that connects out to this story. Yes. Um, so what's also kind of interesting is apparently um, they, during, while this was airing in The Next Generation, they had written more in that battle. Um, and some of their thoughts on, on like what happened during that battle basically spun off into Deep Space Nine. Mm. Um, and so some of the the characters that we got are they were sort of thinking of of what to do with like a bunch of extra writing that they had done then and like what characters they could continue with um and so uh that some of it ended up falling out and so like we don't we didn't get a lot of uh crossover of like characters coming from the next generation into yeah. deep space nine, but we will talk about the ones that do. Okay. Uh, we cut to, is a Stargate four, six, three, seven, nine, uh, um, star date, star date. Uh, so instead of like months and years, they just have a star date system that, uh, I, I'm not deep enough into it. There are people that can just like convert what, like, day month and year it is oh i'll meet them in august i will meet those people at dragon dragon con for sure 100 percent, you will yeah for sure i can't wait um so and then he comes up to his son jake who looks like he's fishing but that's really just a sort of ai generated room uh yep. visual um hologram it's hologram the, the holodeck we'll 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 see this every so often cool holodeck and they look out the window and it seems like they have traveled to some sort of base i suspect this is deep space nine correct yep okay um Get the opening credits, shot of Deep Space Nine. I'll say this, um, not going to, I think this debuted in 1993. Is that right? Something like that? Um, yeah, somewhere around there. So I'm not going to hold the the effects against it, of course. Um, the thing I will hold against it is the thing I will hold against all like 80s and 90s television shows, which is the sort of thing that it happens in wrestling now. Wrestling wrestling's <laughs> like the only medium that still holds this, professional yeah. wrestling, is the sort of uber dramatic lead up to every single commercial break the oh my god yeah. what do you think will happen we'll see will he be able to do <laughs> and the boom we cut to the commercial break that type of storytelling i understand it was extremely popular for a long time is so corny to me sometimes that's the one yeah. one thing that i won't that i will probably hit the show on but the effects uh you know they did what they could um yeah um i, I mean i also kind of think that when you're asking hopefully mo- like a bunch of people that never has have seen Star Trek before to tune in. 
Um, and some people that have seen Star Trek to tune in and be excited and stay after, you know, between commercial breaks. You have to have something because, you know, streaming wasn't a thing. Sure. That was the general idea. I mean, that was the general idea. We got to, we got to yeah. keep them, keep them hooked. Um, but it does, it does assume, um, a level of intellect of your viewer (laughs) that isn't that isn't the highest (laughs) um and and the other thing is like it's kind of funny because i don't know exactly why it is but like you can tell the difference between a scene change not during a commercial break and a scene change during like during a commercial break Mm -hmm. um and it'd be interesting to see like what that is and why that is like why it's so obvious we start with cisco who is reaching out at the request of the bajorn uh provisional government mm-hmm. uh, starfleet has agreed to have a presence there and so what we kind of learn early on in this is that cisco is the commander that is being sent by starfleet um to bajorn because bajorn originally or not originally for the last 60 years has had the Carnassus, Carnassus, Cardassians, Cardassians. Man, that's so, so it's so close. I can't. I I wish it well, was called something else. So, so it's super funny because uh, the Cardassians were a thing, like were a Star Trek thing before. Like, yeah, for sure. The Cardassians were a thing. Sure. And so, like, basically everybody from Star Trek is. This is hilarious. That you know they should have weird facial makeup. Right. And Cardassians are not the good guys, at least in this episode. And yeah. they have controlled um, uh, Pajoran for uh, so 60 years. The, and now the they've been kicked out. The planet is Bajor. Bajor. And the people are Bajoran. Bajor and Bajoran. I said Bajor. They yep. controlled Bajor for 60 years. Um, they're leaving. We get a little bit of extra about why they're leaving. I suspect we'll get more. And yep. here comes our guy, Cisco, um, and the uh, Federation. Is that what it's called? Starfleet? What what is what is it what is Starfleet is is part of yeah so it's like the Federation there's a there's a word they use throughout it to describe where he's from yes that there is so um, what I will tell you is that the broader organization is the Federation okay and the let's say employer of uh, Cisco and Picard. And, you know, they have starships is uh, Starfleet. Starfleet. Um, And so, you know, we'll do this after the recap, but but I'm sort of curious what your concept of both these things are and, you know, what their function is and, uh, you know, just sort of your take on it because they are interesting sort of political and... uh, we'll say military power um, and just sort of like what, how you view it and like what your concept is. Yeah. There's clearly a lot of backstory there because everybody has a bit of a different reaction to uh, somebody yep. from Starfleet, somebody from the Federation coming to assi- quote, assist them. Um, uh, we move, So our guy Cisco's walking around and mm-hmm. he's told Captain Picard wants to see him. He doesn't clearly doesn't want to talk to Captain Picard and then he gets pulled into a conversation with a Bajoran woman um, yep. named Major Kira. And there's a little bit of like, haha about like, man, the, the, the Bajoran women are really tough. And, you know, then she ends up being like a real spitfire, right? Like she's, um, she, she's got a, a lot of personality. And I think that she makes it clear immediately that she has been fighting 
the Cardassians for her entire life, and they finally kicked them out. And the second they kick them out, here comes Starfleet, another group coming in to basically occupy. She also doesn't seem like a big fan of the provisional government they've set up, um, which is from seemingly set up of citizens from Bajor. But, you know, she's not happy with anything, and, and basically. She doesn't like fucking yep. Cisco. She doesn't like the government. She certainly doesn't like the Cardassians who just got kicked out. Yeah. Um, so we have two things here uh, that I want to talk about. So one is O'Brien. Uh, Miles O'Brien is a holdover from the from uh, the next generation. Okay. So he like we get a scene with him later uh, that sort of tells you like what he is and, and where he is. But but he was one of the people that um, they basically thought he was a better actor uh, and worth a bit more screen time than the sort of very much more minor role that he was getting on the next generation. And so they have him playing a much more major role here. Um, And then the other uh, funny thing is, uh, and we get sort of a little bit of uh, Cisco's humor and sort of how he deals with things when uh, Kira says, uh, so are you here to take the office? And he says, well, I thought I'd say hello first and yes, then take the office um and she's like all right fine hello and uh yeah it'll be like there it'll be interesting to watch their relationship uh evolve over time sure and as they're talking uh she gets a notification that there's some sort of crime happening she runs off Mm -hmm. to that we see uh odo there's a character named odo uh who's there and she helps he the two of them basically stop this group of people who are stealing stuff. Uh, one of the kids is there and in comes this guy named Quark and Quark is like, Hey, you know, let's, uh, let's work something out. And he tries to, he says he ran a gambling establishment. He's about to leave the boys, his nephew. Can we just take him basically? And this is interesting because Cisco is sort of set up as our protagonist, our hero, but I would I would say that what he does here is morally ambiguous at best. He holds the kid in uh, detention um, in the brig in order to manipulate Quark uh, yep. into doing what he wants. Obviously, this type of stuff you may have to do as a commander, but it, it is an interesting introduction to a character that I believe is supposed to be somebody we root for. Yes. Um, and so... This is one of like the things that I, I really appreciate about uh, this series in particular, where um, the next generation is a lot less morally ambiguous, where um, there, there are usually the right decision and the wrong decision, as opposed to a complicated decision that you could take many different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is where we see uh, Cisco having a lot of morally gray opportunities and decisions that he has to make. Um, and it's sort of interesting to see like where, you know, what he does and where it takes him. Um, and... Uh, as, as is kind of often in uh, shows like this and pilots, they don't really know who's going to be a recurring cast member and a main character. 
Um, and so the huh. random kid that Cork is like, oh, that's my nephew, ends up being, you know, a fairly main cast member. I would hope that they had a general sense of it because they've got to they've got to get people under contract. I mean, they've they hopefully they have a sense of where the story is going. I mean, I, I, I yeah. hope it's a little bit more known um, than that. I don't think so. First of all, for the pilot, and I think this is fairly common with pilots, like you're sort of still pitching. Like, you know, until till the, the series is greenlit, like the... Yeah, but this there's no way that this was a normal pilot. This is a two-hour thing. They had, they, 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 this wasn't like, well, go shoot two hours and then we'll talk to you. Sure. <laughs> like, I'm and, sure. And so sure it was I'm already pretty done. sure that um, Nog is a recurring extra in the first season and eventually becomes one of the main cast. Yeah, okay. So that could be, yeah, that could be good reception, or they just they just started moving the story that way. So Quark seems like a fairly interesting character, and he's pretty charismatic here in the first uh, first episode. So I I mm-hmm. like Quark. He's on he's I like his screen time, and he's called to Argos. Cisco is called to Picard again. Commercial break, very dramatic, and then we cut <laughs> back. Uh, Picard welcomes Cisco in. So it's been a long time, and they he said he tells Picard I was at the Saratoga at wolf three five nine and yep. what i so probably because patrick stewart is such a nice guy in the world i did not expect the sneer and the sort of anger that seemed to flash in him when that was yeah. mentioned and how he completely refused to talk about it like yeah i expected picard to be like i'm the captain that takes care of everybody and i love you all and i'm really good and that is not what i got from his character this episode yeah um so Wolf 359 was the fight that we saw. Yep. Um, and so I think that they are playing it interestingly where basically neither of them has really dealt with the consequences. Um, and so the somewhat broader context that um, people that have watched The Next Generation have, uh, I don't think it's necessary for you know watching this but but it is sort of part of this is that the the enterprise is the flagship sure uh of the federation slash starfleet um and so like he has like a major force and a major presence even though like he is not like the top ranked uh official um and so like he does a lot of these things and uh, I think that neither of them, like, they haven't really come to terms with, like, what it means for people that were at that battle to interact with Picard. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of trailing um, maybe trauma or anger from Picard about that because we even, like, he sne- like he, he sneered at him. It was almost like an yeah. animal animal reaction of like, oh, I can't believe you brought that up, you, you jerk. Moves right on, starts talking about the Cardassian withdrawal. Basically, the uh-huh. Cardassians, when they withdrew, they, they stripped the planet of everything. There's mentioned multiple times in the episode that they didn't leave them enough natural resources to really take care of themselves. Yeah. And they, that eventually goes into a conversation um, where Cisco explains that he really doesn't even want to be there. He would prefer to get out of being in Starfleet and go back to earth in a civilian capacity at some point. This seems to like, it seems to be like the type of thing where 
if you t- if you were a, a professional basketball player and you told Michael Jordan in the '90s, like you know what I'd really like to be a gardener, like that's the kind of look that Picard gives him. <laughs> like this sort of like, are you fucking kidding me? Like that is, that, why in the world would you not have any more motivation than that? He seems beyond disappointed. Sort of just um, like it, there's a level of disrespect in that position. That um, yeah, not and, and the position meaning like the position of I want to go back to Earth. Right. Picard does not seem to respect that. Um, I sort of wonder what the conversation between uh, Jordan and I think it's Jokic that like will just be like, yeah, I just want to go back and hang out with my family. Like, oh well, I, Jokic, Jordan wouldn't say too much to Jokic. He's too good. But yeah, some of these <laughs> players who who want to actually just like fuck off. Like, Picard seems to have that sort of mentality of like he's proud of the. This is what I got from him is that he's proud of being in Starfleet. He yeah. takes his job seriously, and the idea that you would just want to fuck off and be like a civilian on Earth, it's a it's not repulse, but it's a level below repulse. Yeah. Um, and so Picard famously is not a family man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. He, yeah. I mean, that. yeah, playing into some tropes here, but like it helps me understand the character, which is, you know, tied to his job, loves his job, very good yeah. at it, very serious. Um None of this is like the Patrick Stewart that I know just out in the ether. So like it's it's taking yeah. a little bit to reorient. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think his uh, I, I, I saw a special guest, Patrick Stewart. So I'm guessing yes. Picard is not in this going forward. And so I just yep. thought it was a really effective cameo from him. Um, mm-hmm. And his scenes were really good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm breaking new ground here. Hey, guys, guess what I've determined? Patrick Stewart is good in Star Trek. Yeah. There you go. Hot off the presses. Uh, a good actor. Who knew? Yeah, and actually good in this in this series. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Dragon Con. And I'm going to go to the start. The start. I'm going to go to like the the 500 classes. I'm going to go to the most advanced Star Trek <laughs> panel and raise my hand and go. You know what I think? I think Patrick Stewart's really good in this thing. I think he's. I think he's got. <laughs> this is a great role for him. What do you guys think? Discuss. <laughs> oh man, it's it is kind of fun being a noob because you get to like sort of make fun of yourself. So back to Cisco. He's making a deal with Quark. He's trying to get Quark to stay. Um, Quark doesn't like this Bajoran provisional government either, but he feels guilty about the kid. One thing that's interesting to me is I did not hear Quark say that his brother was alive, but I heard Cisco assume that his brother was alive. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to hear if we get more backstory about his brother, the father of the kid who's being put on the brig. Um, and this is one of the things that like it was, it's a pilot. Um, so a little bit of behind the scenes. One of the guys in the, like when they show the gambling, I think, or maybe it was in like one of the bartending scenes. One of those actors ends up being Nog's father. Oh, okay. So he's not dead. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one thing that we get here from Kira is that the religion of Bajorn Bajor, the the planet, the the religion of that is is a connecting aspect of the people. It's extremely important to the people, yeah. and it it's a calming presence in their society. Um, and so, she, and she talks about this person, um, Opaka, mm-hmm. and she says that Opaka is the only one that can stop the the inevitable civil war that will occur when the provisional government falls. 
and she thinks that this this opaque is the right person right and in in the course of all of this argas cisco is being sort of like nudged by this very religious looking guy who's got like a head covering um and some ear and some jewelry mm -hmm. to go see the prophets to go see the religious leaders that he needs to do that yeah um so there is a bajoran temple on the station um and we get that presence kind of throughout the series uh plays more and less of a role in different times um and uh the uh the religion plays uh a, a very interesting role in, in the rest of the series i when and when i watched this episode um i was like the the dude who plays the cleric seemed very familiar um and i like i was like part of me was like this feels like john malkovich it's not <laughs> yeah did you look him up did you see if he if you know him from anywhere I like I couldn't find him. He's he's basically just uncredited extra. Oh, interesting. Yeah, let, let's just say it was John Malkovich. That's how, that that yeah. works for me. So, one of the a couple of things that I've noticed here just in the early goings is that this was made in 1993, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. There, there's a, a black male lead. There's women throughout this thing. There's people of yep. color. Um, where I, I don't know if in 1993, if the Bushes were yelling that this was too woke or not, but they, <laughs> they, they were very diverse in their casting, which I yep. think was, which I think I just like that, um, in a show, uh, I find it more interesting, but yep. I also think it makes sense when you're talking about, um, a group of people from potentially different planets and different cultures and different societies that you need them to kind of look different. So they played on that a little bit with different races, different, um, of course, having, having women be a part of, of it, um, in a more advanced society and then having people who kind of look like aliens throughout. So it works really well, but I think it's also just interesting to call out that there's been a lot of really, uh, in Hollywood, the last maybe seven or eight years, there's been a lot of really, um, particular and um, purposeful casting, diversity casting. I think yep. it was. I think it was here too, but it kind of in a different yes. way. Um, so there, there is an episode that I'm really excited to get to, and like it's sort of a story arc that that is in the the series that uh, sort of addresses it directly in almost a, a fourth wall way. Um, like it's definitely in universe, but like there's that sort of acknowledgement of like what's going on in the show but they deal with it sort of in universe um and then the the other thing i mean you mentioned diversity and and woke a bit of trivia for you do you know what the uh first interracial kiss on tv was so i actually know this because i i think i've heard it talked about before yep. i believe it was the original star trek and the black yep. woman lead on that show yep Okay. Uh, so, uh, it, like, yes, that, you know, it, it's kind of a, you know, is, is this really, you know, what, what we're going back to? But I would say that Star Trek generally worked on pushing the boundaries of, like, social acceptance um, when, when they came out. I mean, and so not only is there a black lead, but he's a single black father who's being a father is really important to him. Yeah. It, as someone who's like 
really trying to earn all of my merit badges in fantasy. (laughs) I really appreciate that. It seems the seems that most fantasy has always been on the front end of this has always been, um, there's been a little bit more diversity in the casting, a little bit more diversity in the storytelling, a little bit less outright racism, sexism, and Stone of the Troy. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but a little bit less than you would expect for those particular time periods. It seems like this is the same. I'd also point out that they introduce religion and they, they immediately cast it as what if you were on earth right now and you were running, say the Catholic church um, and you wanted the best possible PR for religion in earth's history, you would cast it as, which is, oh, this is the thing that calms society, connects everybody, that, 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 ma- that stops the wars, that makes it all okay. Like that's the thing that the church has been going for, for like the last <laughs> thousand years on earth. And they yeah. immediately cast religion that way in this show, which is way more positive than you get in a lot of storytelling. So right away, yeah. they, they, they cast religion in a positive light. Um, yes. Uh, they're, they deal a lot more with, with it in future episodes. Um, and I think they do it in a really interesting way. So we have Cario pocket. So Cisco gets taken to the planet. He gets, I guess, a a shuttle down to the planet. He goes to the temple. The first person, it seems like he really talks to is Cario pocket here. She seeks him out. And she immediately knows he doesn't want to be there after like touching his face. Now, they they have immediate they have they've cast religion fairly positively here in the first 20 minutes of the show but my hackles were up because i was like okay that seems like a thing that she knows that she's not supposed to know but she could be talking to picard like she could like very easily could have gotten that information from picard if she still has a line to him um yeah. i don't know if that's true or not but that's just a theory i had right away um so we'll see it every so often the the ear holding thing is a sort of religious interaction um is that why i saw so many people at dragon con holding each other's earlobes and stuff no i'm just kidding i didn't see that but that would be kind of i'd be like that that, that'd be an interesting (laughs) thing to have for them to have done and then Um, me and then me not knowing star trek trying to cast trying to develop a reason they're doing that oh Yeah. yeah that's that's pretty normal here i guess um I, w- I would sort of liken it to uh, communion in some ways, where like some people are uncomfortable getting it. So like, they're, oh, okay, yeah. so, from like, the end user perspective, I got you. Yeah, partially from the end user perspective, and partially from the like, this is a like religious interaction between the the priest, the cleric, whatever, and uh, the lay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So he didn't seem super comfortable getting it, but she did it anyway. And they, um, yeah. she immediately, um, opens this thing up. Right. And, um, th- a shiny hourglass, appears. a shiny hourglass <laughs> appears. And then all of a sudden he's on a beach with some lemonade. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm really interested that I, I guess this is about maybe three or 4,000 years in the future or something like that. Let's just say it. I don't know what it is, but like they, they gave a number of like four forty three thousand or so. I don't know. They're still drinking lemonade. That's what I'm saying is that lemonade is so good that you can rest assured everybody that in, in 10,000 years from now, when they're on other planets, they're still drinking lemonade because it's, dope. I can't wait for you to meet Cisco's father. Um, 
you you get some information about him in this episode um and i will say that cisco still cooks yeah for sure um i like that i like that idea well you know we got a little bit of that where the the boy wanted the sort of like on-demand food he's like where where's that and then they're like well we have emergency rations and he's like oh dad i don't like that so i think you know for some of that stuff i'm starting to recognize is fantasy storytelling it's you you do an interaction that you could get away with in two sentences but you do it in seven so that you give people some background uh, and context to how this world works yeah so Apaka says that there were, this is one of the orbs. There were nine. The Cardassians took out all of them, but one. And she kind of explains a little bit about them. Um, she says that the orbs were sent by the prophets to teach them what they've learned has shaped their theology. She says that if the Cardassians find the celestial temple, they'll destroy it. She gives him the one last orb and says, I can't unite my people until I know the prophets have been warned. So what I'm picking up here could be wrong is that these orbs came to them 10,000 years ago. They think the prophets sent them the orbs to them. Yep. And that is a fundamental tenet of the, maybe the backbone of this religion. Yeah. And she wants to warn the prophets that the Cardassians are after them or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that she said that, um, is important uh, that you didn't uh, mention yeah. is that uh, Cisco, she said, one who somebody who doesn't want to be there is to be the emissary. Um, and the title of the this two part uh, episode is the emissary. Right, because it does seem like this whole thing sort of gets wrapped up toward the end because he does yeah. go, he does represent them, he does meet these apparent prophets. He explains yeah. the whole concept of a linear existence. It's all great. It all gets wrapped up. Yeah. Um, so the orbs generally are like, if you sit in the presence of one of these, uh, things, the hourglass in the box, you get a vision, um, and different people have different visions. And so this is one of the, probably one of the big reasons that like the religion sprung up around these, um, and the, each vision seems like is unique to the person um and we get more down the line but like this isn't um a huge focus of the show in general but like it does crop up every so often so we cut we cut back um cisco chats with jakes for a second he gets a call and they should come up to the promenade up there he sees uh people having a good time so quark is doing it he's opened his own biz uh, his old business cisco has succeeded in this um with nefarious means, I would say. And he goes to get it. He asks how the ale is there. And then we get this line from Quark. Never trust ale from a God-fearing people or a Starfleet commander who has one of your relatives in jail. I like the line because it tells me that, yes, Quark is playing ball here, but he's not forgotten how Cisco got him to do it. Um, I don't think all is well between these two right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you might have just summed up Quark as a character. Like his entire character is Quark plays ball. Yeah. Yeah. He seems like a, a guy who knows how to get around. He probably came from poverty. He knows how to get around and do and operate, but he also seems like a guy with a long memory. Yeah. Um, so Cisco gives us, gives some sort of journal update, which we also get from Kira later. 
Um, mm-hmm. I guess this is something that, that they, they do that we'll get more information about later. Um, Kira heads off some lieutenants uh, with Cisco, and one of them asks another one out. She's like, sure, I'll do oh. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, we get Cisco and the, the female, or what looks like a female named Dax, and he's yep. like, isn't he too old for you? I'm 28. He's 38 or 27 or something. And he's like, no, no, no. You're like 328. What's wrong with you? And then at some point during this conversation, he calls her a man. So yep. I'm quite confused all the way around. I think you're supposed to be. Yes. Uh, so there is a little bit of, uh, we've seen this species before in Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, they updated uh, how they present the the alien. Um, they do that every so often. Um, and uh, we actually get like some really funny callbacks to that change in Deep Space Nine later on. Uh, but like in the original series, the Klingons were portrayed very differently than they're portrayed. This is like, she's a Klingon? She is not. Oh. I was just giving you an ex- like a, the, the most common example of a species change. So she is what's called Trill. Um, and, uh, we see Trill about like, we we see the backstory as to why he calls her old man. Yeah. Um, in her vision later. Well, all I saw was an organ transplant. So maybe you can explain that to me a little bit more when we get there. Um, cause I'll tell you this, if I need a kidney and I get a kidney from a young girl, nobody walks around calling me a young girl from then on. So like, we got to figure out what's going on. I mean, if you do, I am, I'm a hundred percent going to. Yeah, well, that's fair (laughs) enough. I mean, I guess now, now we've sort of set the precedent. Um, so then we get Kira talking, um, to the guy Dax asks out this guy, you know, he goes over his skis a little bit. He starts talking about basically what a hero he is for wanting to come to the wilderness and save everybody. And she's like, yeah, except this is kind of where I live. It's my home, bro. Like this is kind of condescending what you're doing here. And then she walks out. Uh, he learns a little bit of a lesson there. Yeah. I mean, this this feels, it feels a little awkward, but it also kind of feels like he is like fresh out of residency and is on a like Doctors Without Borders mission that is just sure. like, yeah, I'm excited to take what I learned out to like where it's really needed. And they're just like, all right, bro, like, come on now. Yeah, it's every AmeriCorps conversation that happened from 90, yeah. 92 to 2022. Like every, every one of like, oh, I'm, I, I, well, I left my big city in New York to come to rural Arkansas to help you people. And it's like, yeah, well, rural Arkansas is my home. So that's just where I live. So maybe let's not treat it like a theme park. Uh, yep. I think the guy learned a lesson here. He doesn't seem like a bad guy. It just seems like he needs yep. to learn how to talk to people. So Dax run it. Dax run it, runs a scan on the orb. She looks at it. She's transported. And that's when we get the surgery, the surgery. What I see is an old man sitting next to the person who's now being called Dax. Who's a young, looks like a young woman. Some, mm-hmm. something is trans is surgically taken from the man put into her. Uh, I would call that an organ transplant, but somehow yep. that changes genders. You tell me what it is. So, uh, it's called the symbiote. Uh, we will get more about it uh, later on. Um, but basically, uh, the this thing can form a symbiotic relationship with a trill. And uh, it stores basically the, the memories and the life of everybody that's had it. Hmm. So... Um, 
it's it's a an interesting way for the species to uh like pass down knowledge and information um culture etc cetera, etc cetera. so it um, it it's a parasite but so it it, it logs onto the, it lops onto the host but it doesn't kill yeah. the host it just is a now a partnership yeah um sure okay and so like we'll get a little bit more later on but basically the uh Jadzia Dax so that that's her first name Dax is the symbiote um and her name's Jadzia the previous one was Curzon so Curzon Dax and so she like maintains all of the memories of like her time interacting with Cisco so her body sands this thing is like 20 whatever and then that thing's like 200 years old or whatever. And exactly. She's, she's got additional memories out there. And okay. and so like she blew the horn of Valir or something. Basically. You yeah. know, it's be, you know when when uh people call Matt uh you know when when he sort of slips into something and you know if they called him general one of the generals that he was that's sort of like what this would be. Yeah, okay. Slipping into wheel time talk there, but I th- yeah. there is some there's some there's some um, relation. There's some uh, comparisons, relationships, and similarities, I guess, between these different fantasy genres. Yeah. That sometimes it helps to orient yourself. Um, all right, so get o- now we get O'Brien. He's walking around. Um, he is talking to Picard a little bit. He asks for permission to disembark. Picard agrees. Picard presses some button. Off he goes. Then they get a com from uh, Dullcat. Is that his name? Gull Ducat. Gull Ducat. Um, uh, <laughs> and they mention how the Enterprise just left. Cisco lets him in. Yep. So uh, we'll get a lot more about the Cardassians and their uh, political slash military structure. Uh, but Gull is a title. Got um, it. Because yeah, that's why the other guy's named Gull, too. I guess. Yes. Yeah. Um, so um, and Ducat, I think is the family name, but I'm not hundred percent sure. It's kind of like Chinese. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I learned that through Yao Ming, by the way. See, this is what I was doing when, uh, when you were watching deep space nine, uh, as a kid, I was learning, uh, what I should call Yao Ming when he don't, don't check. Um, yeah. Gold Ducat. He says it was his office two years ago. He says he misses the office. Go ask, um, what our guy, Cisco thought of uh, Kaiopaka. So interesting that he's got a, a line that he visited Kaiopaka, right? Yep. And he immediately knows that he has the orb. This raises um, the the hackles of our guy Cisco, who just goes, "I don't have the orb. I don't know what you're talking about." Basically, get the fuck out of here, kind of. Yep. Um, so he leaves. Cisco clearly doesn't trust him. Dak mentions the Denorius. Uh, she says that someone saw it. Yeah, the said, Denorius belt. The Denorius belt, and that someone saw the, uh, the orbs were found there. She runs yeah. a report on this, and in essence, she's trying to. She's seemingly working closely with Cisco, trying to find this area that he's supposed to visit. And yeah. it looks like she has a lead on it. Yeah. So Dax is the science officer, and Bashir is the medical officer, and so they sort of they play. Uh, I mean, for. for Basically, in Star Trek, usually we have the captain is the main character and is surrounded by the rest of the main cast, a do- you know, doctor, science officer, tactical officer, 
Um, and so we're basically meeting these people and seeing how they perform those roles. Can I just say how I appreciate that this is how this is Main Street? Like we're not getting a fucking Walmart here. Like, there, like there's a shoe store. There's a there's a there's a hat store. There's yep. a tax store. There's you know the tax accountant. There's a, a a place to eat food. It's not like a fucking Costco where there's a generalist, right? Like I feel like Game of Thrones had me as a generalist. We had like the maester who just did every fucking thing, had every title. This now we we got Main Street here. We got some defined roles. We got defined yep. stores we're going into, and it's a little bit easier to follow. I like that. Yeah. Um, and helpfully, uh, everybody in Starfleet has color-coded uniforms. So if it's a blue uniform, uh, they're going to be science or medical. Uh, red uniform is command. And that sort of uh, terribly uh, ugly yellow is uh, engineering. That's helpful and, to know. Uh, security. So but, yeah, that's helpful to know. Then we get a sequence, which it looks like um, it happens really fast, but it, there was clearly a lot of planning behind it where Cisco wants to go to this particular area. But the, I think the Cardassians have some way to stop him or some sort of like shield or something that's going to stop him from going. And so they devise this scheme where a guy, Odo, um, who apparently can shapeshift shapeshift become liquid right like they he becomes money and they have the cardassians win the money in yep. odo's in in quark's place they put a bag, bag in it oh he's the bag okay that's helpful yeah. he's the bag and they they win some money at quark's place they put it in the bag quark seems in on this with kira with everybody kira kicks them all out so they have to leave with the money in the bag they put the bag in their own ship and ah here comes odo and he's able to then turn the shields off etc this is a um this is a very r2d2 plan let's uh let's put a let's put a doorbell on r2d2 and let's just treat him like some other piece of regular household <laughs> furniture and the Imperials yeah. won't notice. And then he can, you know, go over to the, the little control panel and do what we need him to do. Yeah. So, cause I, when I got, when, when Kira did this, I, I, I fell for it. I thought that she had done this without consulting Cisco. Cisco would be upset, you know, the whole thing, but it, it seems all planned. Yeah. So then we go back to O'Brien who's trying to um, do something that he says he's never done with a Cardassian transporter before he's irritated. And then it seems like Odo is back. Like, I'm not sure how that worked. So, um, uh, yeah. So, so there are going to be bits of technology that, uh, they play with and they have issues with. Um, so the, the holodeck is one of them that, that just is a Star Trek staple. The transporters are another Star Trek staple. Um, basically they, you know, convert people into a data stream, uh, and they can pop th them in and out of places. You can send so, people via email is what I'm hearing. Basically. Um, nice. so it, it's a little squishy. It's, it's a lot squishy. <laughs> I was about um, to say, it sounds pretty squishy. <laughs> um, so, uh, there are like they can just do it anywhere except when they can't uh shields block it um which is kind of like the defense of like especially military vessels of just somebody just showing up and and uh 
you know, wrecking house. Um, but, but it's sort of one of the ways where, like, we don't always have to take, uh, a ship everywhere. Um, and it's a faster way to get, you know, from point A to point B. I would say, yeah, like flu, like a little bit of like flu powder. You jump into a fireplace. There you go. Off you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A lot of fantasy requires this sort of way to move people around really quickly so that they can hand wave it. So it's, it's in a lot of this stuff. It's like halfway between flu powder and port key because like you can kind of go from any point to any point, uh, within certain distances. Uh, but like generally it's from, and we see this early on with Picard and O'Brien, it's generally from like a transporter route. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a particular room. Yeah. Cause he said he liked transporter room three or whatever. That's the one he yeah. was hanging out. In. Um, yeah. So Dax and O'Brien are part piloting a ship, which is slipped through the Cardassian shields and um, the sensors due to Odo's work Dak yep. asks for a visual on something and they go off toward it. They, they move and it keeps going and it looks like it's going into some sort of what, what looked to me like an energy field type thing, black hole uh-huh. sort of thing. It's like a, um, uh, yeah, some sort of, uh, large, uh, hole in space maybe that they, they travel yeah. into and they go into it. And then O'Brien just goes, I don't know. Hell, they're just, they're just gone. I don't know where they are. And I don't think it's, it's, it's not O'Brien and Dax that are piloting the ship. It's Cisco and Dax that are piloting yeah, the ship. Yeah, Cisco and Dax. Yeah. yeah. Then cut to Cisco and Dax. They're struggling to figure out what the hell they're, where they're at, what's going on. Synergy field seems to be um, spit them out somewhere else. Yep. They figure out that they are a long way uh, from Bajor. Uh, Cisco seems to think it, they found a wormhole, and within universe in the see this is like where I'm talking about with the dialogue. You you pick up if somebody doesn't know anything about this that wormholes are rare. Nobody has even like had one that they have found. They know that they exist, but it's like, it's, um, it's like the really large, uh, octopus, right? The, the, um, the, 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 the Kraken, the Kraken, the really large, but yeah. the, the one that, that that's like in Antarctica that like really exists. It's like 20 feet long, but we've never yeah. seen one in the wild. We've only seen like a right. dead body every once in a while. Yeah. Kind of the same idea because it, it, they don't seem shocked that it exists. It just seems so, so rare that it's stunning to them that they found it. Exactly. And, and like, particularly, and we'll get the, I think we get this later, but like that it's in one place and stable. Right. Yeah. So she says they've land. So then, then she's getting some readings on this particular area that they've mm-hmm. spit out at. Apparently it's uh, inside a wormhole and it's capable of supporting life. They land and it looks kind of like they land on maybe an asteroid or a big rock or something because they're clearly on the yep. surface of whatever this thing is. And the orb starts to probe at them and, and they, they, they posit that maybe this is the orb telling them hello or that's some sort of greeting. And mm-hmm. Cisco introduces himself. He's shot back. So is Dax. It's important to note Dax is seeing a different reality than Cisco here. Dax is seen like lush, green, beautiful fields. Um, Dax is seen like barren rock destroyed, like shout out silo, by the way, if you've ever seen silo, this is exactly what I was <laughs> that saying. Um, and they, and they, they're seeing kind of different things and yeah. Cisco's on the ground. looks like he's struggling moving and then something envelops him. He wakes up in a big bright light. We see the orb, uh, looking thing, uh, fling back into the wormhole. 
Uh, Kira asked O'Brien if the Cardassian sensors are picking up everything. Cisco asked a question about it, and we see Picard and Opaka. Um, Opaka asked her Cisco what's... Cisco and Opaka. Cisco and Opaka. And Opaka yep. uh, asked her what's up. Cisco talks to it, um, says they're from a different species. And then they kind of start doing the like, oh, it's going to take time to understand each other. And then what through this whole sequence, it seems like the conversation's all happening in Cisco's brain or at least in a, in a non physical space. It's not the physical space that we're, we're used to where this conversation is happening. Right. And so we kind of get some of that with the like bright light and like, we'll get zoom in, uh, on Cisco's face and a heartbeat. And so, um, and then we're getting, uh, replays of, a lot of interactions that Cisco has had over the course of the episode so far. Um, and then we get some of the other, uh, like things from his memory. And Mm -hmm. then like, I think it's, it's an intro. It, it sort of feels hokey, but it's also, it, it, I think it feels hokey because it feels tropey at this point for some reason, but like the, they're talking to him through, people in his memories exactly that that so but it seems to me that the setting of those memories is a hundred percent or at least partially dependent i shouldn't say hundred percent but partially dependent upon what is regularly going through cisco's head yes because they continue to say this is your reality right this is your existence this is where this is and he's like why did you bring me here and they're like you tell me bro because we are in the the we are in the memory we're in this this space that you continue to think of that is this basically you know like a really simplistic way is like this is taking up a lot of space in your head so this is where we are like this is what you think about this is where yeah. Uh, where, where you, what you obsess about. So that's where, that's where we yeah. are. And so that's why during the sequence, we get that, that shot of the, the, the burning ship and his wife dying and the, mm-hmm. and, and the beach between the two of them, we probably get that scene 10 times, right? Between when he met yeah. his wife on the beach and then when she died. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, these are important parts in his life. And the other thing that I think is interesting, you called out that uh, Dax and Cisco like see different realities, um, and I think that is telling you a little bit about their their different characters and like who they are. Dax is like, oh, like I just you know we're exploring a new place. It's probably green and beautiful and awesome, and and yeah, I'm gonna enjoy it. And and Cisco's more like, all right, it's gonna be this thing that we have to like overcome. And so he's in a lightning storm rockscape uh, as opposed to, you know, a chill meadow. Yeah. And that's interesting because it's how they, it's how it's partially how they're, they're approaching the situation is what they see because so much of, so much of the setting in this conversation with the orb or these people, whoever they are, they're kind of unnamed in this episode is about um, what is taking up mental space for you. What's in your consciousness. Yeah. Um, O'Brien in the middle of, in the middle of the sequence, O'Brien has a, a bit of a scare with 
something that's becoming unstable at a, at a higher percentage over time. And then he, he overrides something and does something heroic and then saves the day. I don't, I didn't get the technology piece of this, but I got that O'Brien is kind of a gunslinger and he'll just override and he'll just do it manually and fuck it. We'll do it live and bang. We got it. We got it. He fixed. He is. uh, So every Star Trek so far has had the engineer that figures it out. Um, and so he's the engineer that figures it out. Got it. Um, and so basically what, uh, my memory is that they figure out that this is a wormhole and if they have any hopes of the Bajorans being able to make some claims on the wormhole and have some influence on what goes on with this wormhole, they need the station close by. And so... They're basically taking the station that technically can fly, sort of, and being like, all right, I understand that, like, this was just stripped bare, uh, but, like, you need to fly it over there. And he basically goes, all right, let's try and figure this out. Um, And so that was sort of that whole, like, uh, he's moving the whole, he's moving the whole space station. Exactly. Okay, got it. Um, um, and that's sort of that, that like weird shot of the blue uh, jets coming out of the side. Got it. Okay. Um, so back to Kira and Dax. The Cardassians are headed right to it. Uh, Otto indicates. So I think that what happens, right, is that. Um, how, so my question for you is how does Dax get off of the, the little ship that she's got there with our guy Cisco and get back with Kira and the rest of the crew. Yeah. Um, I, it's not explained. I think sort of the easier, like it's a, this feels like somebody missed something in the storyboard. Um, Cause all of a I, sudden she's with Kira and I'm like, wait a second. She was in the ship with our yeah, guy. Exactly. She's in the ship with our guy. He later comes out with the ship too. And he's alone. Right. Um, so they have two runabouts. So they have two of these little shuttles. Maybe somebody like went to go pick her up. I, I, I think that the easiest explanation is either that or the wormhole aliens slash prophets were just like, just go back to where you need to be. Like we're, we're having an important conversation. You, you do that. Over I'm there. going to accept that. I like that. They, 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 the, in her, we didn't get the, the, the first person, but in hers, it was like, appreciate you. Um, yep. you're all, you're, it's pretty weird brain to live in. Cause you got 300 members over here in like the corner. Um, and we're going to kick you out. Yep. Bye. Um, so the Cardassians are heading right to the same spot, right? Otto indicates he's not a big fan of goal, uh, Dekat. Uh, yep. they, they try reaching out to goal. Uh, Kier tells him not to proceed. Uh, Dekat seems to ignore it. Dekat seems to know that Cisco is in his term negotiating with these, the, these, the species, this people, Um, and that they are the ones that had the orbs. So, um, it seems to me that the Cardassians have fairly good intel about where people are going, moving around what they're doing. Um, but the reasons behind that, they're a little slow on. Yeah, I, we'll get more on it, but basically they, they are very much the, uh, we have spies everywhere. Uh, there's there's a lot of like we have a lot of intelligence gathering but they they don't know nor understand pretty much 
the Federation and what anybody does. Like, what, what, they don't understand the Starfleet ethos at all, ever, basically. So, that Cisco's just going to have a chat and doesn't have ulterior motives is like, what, that this is not, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then we have about a, a seven to eight minute span where Cisco's just trying to explain to these people the concept of a linear existence. Let me tell you about baseball and why baseball is great. Um, yeah, because he uses he uses two metaphors primarily in this in this discussion. One is, uh-huh. um, well, no, he doesn't get. He, so first off, it, there's just a number of words they don't understand. Things like lost, yeah. um, and 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 he tries to explain a linear existence. Now, part of a linear existence is the uncertainty of the future. Because at any given point, you're at a moment in time in this linear existence, and you don't know what's going to happen next. This kind of blows the, the kind of explodes the brain of these uh, aliens <laughs> yes. who are like, why in the hell would you ever want that? So he tries to explain the beauty and the uncertainty of the future through two metaphors, one being marriage, that you get married, you don't, you're in for it, you're, you're cool with all the consequences, you're, you're signing up to them, but you don't know what they're going to be. And then the other yep. is baseball, which is, um, if you knew exactly how it would go, there would be no point in playing. It wouldn't be a beautiful game. The uncertainty is what's the most fun about it. So he tries to explain it through these two different things. I think he does a relatively good job of getting two primary points across, which is that A, we humans live a linear existence, and B, um, that linear existence does not mean that we are here to hurt you or attack you or anything the beauty of our existence is that we don't know things. We don't know the future and we explore, we search, we try to find uh, answers mm-hmm. and that's what we're here to do. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's that whole sequence. Uh, um, and it, and ahead. if you are in for the baseball, there is more of it. So, so don't you worry. We have, we, we have sports too. Yeah. Well, the, the, the most unrealistic <laughs> part of this is that baseball survives another 30,000 years. What they didn't realize is that baseball wouldn't survive another 30 years and that, it, <laughs> that baseball <laughs> is a dying sport in, in America and that 30 years people wouldn't be watching it anymore. So they picked the wrong one there. Um, so we got two things going on. One is now Cisco has explained all of this to these creatures and they're, they seemingly flip to wanting to help him. Um, and to talk to him about his own personal existence. And I sense that that's because they're not going to grant the ability to travel this wormhole and this peaceful coexistence unless they trust and like Cisco. That is, that mm-hmm. is of utmost importance to them. And they're deep yeah. in his, they're deep in his brain, right? So he's going to have to be honest with them to move this whole operation forward. And the second thing is that the Cardassians are, just dumb and um they want to just like attack everybody and kill everybody um and they they're like oh we're gonna get this wormhole by killing your spaceship here and that's how we're gonna get it which is just on the face of it stupid because we know that the people who control this thing have collapsed it they can hide it they can move it away they could they, they control this thing the only way to get the ability in and out of it or whatever is to like gain their trust it's not to just start blowing shit up right yeah, I mean, but like the the mindset of the Cardassians is they see somebody from the from Starfleet go in to this like 
novel wormhole and they're like no we're gonna take that over so like we as the audience sort of like have like a concept of a little bit more concept of what's going on uh but but generally the cardassians are we have warships and we can take it over and the more we take over uh the more we can you know exert influence and and become a bigger power yeah that's clearly kind of what what's happened because it it just seems ludicrous that they're going to start bombing or killing or phasering or whatever the deep space nine because they want to get this wormhole when it's like what we realized is that you actually have to like talk to the people who own it who like control it um and so for general reference i mean you get a little bit of it but the there are two weapons that the ships have and it's basically the same as like nor like the ships that we have there are torpedoes or missiles and that you know fire and then blow up and then there are phasers which are basically the same as guns they shoot in a straight line and they're just energy based basically rather than uh you know based on like explosive. raw material or something yeah, yeah. yeah so it seems like what happens in the narrative about the Cardassians attacking deep space nine is that deep space nine postures a little bit and this is very like a very Kira move here, which is like, let's basically, you know what this is? This is um, in magic. This is the red deck. This is like, let's throw all of our burn spells at somebody really fast and just see how it goes. Maybe we scare them off. Maybe, maybe they don't fuck with us again, but it seemed like there was a bit of, um, uh, there was a, there was a bit of like plan, um, fast like they were uh god what's the word i'm searching for here they they're posturing is a good word i mean they're yeah but it's like uh they're, they're lying about their capabilities and and hopefully hoping that the other organization buys it oh 100 percent. so like some of the uh mumbo jumbo that that they go with is basically uh let's pr- like let's make it look like we have weapons bluffing and... bluffing there it is okay yeah um and then Basically, what they did was figure out a way to, like, fire one shot that made it look like they had good weapons. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And it does kind of confuse the Cardassians in the sense that they ask for backup. But it doesn't really stop them from attacking. But it doesn't seem to me that they attack with the same uh, gusto, with the same power that they would have if they were a little bit more if they weren't as concerned about the capabilities of deep space nine because of Kira's bluff. Exactly. Um, and they, and what we, and what we learned is that nobody dies during this. Right. And I think that that you can, you can trace that back to Kira's posturing. Yes. Um, while that's going on, you've got our guy Cisco who is trying to come to an agreement with these, these uh, beings and they're not going to do that unless he's honest with himself. And so they keep taking him. Not They're not taking him. They keep talking to him on the bridge where this explosion happened, where he saw his wife did. And he's like, why are you taking me here? And they're like, we're not taking you here. This is your existence. This is where you live. And he finally connects what they're telling him and goes, I've never left this thing. Like, And it's a, it's a really kind of interesting discussion about what trauma is just jammed in the middle of this space story because that's in essence what Buddhists teach us, which is that we create suffering because we do one of two things. We either live in past trauma, we just replay it over and over, 
or we live in a future trauma that hasn't happened yet that we're imagining that oh the, oh so and so is going to happen it's going to be so bad and all of this can these mental cycles just continue to create suffering in us and it seems to me like this organization these beings are trying to break him of that they're trying to get him um maybe well maybe they're not trying to break him of it but they're at least trying to get him cognizant of the fact that that's where he lives and that's where yeah. he's staying when he says, I've never left this, I've never left this area, um, I think that's the that's the revelatory moment that leads to him telling Picard later, I don't want to leave. Like, I do actually want to have a life after this event. I want to yeah. move on past it. Yeah, um, I think that's a really good read. I the, the things that Star Trek deals with get are, are like surprising and the amount of appreciation that they get from their fan base when they do it um is i guess sort of unsurprising i mean that's what that's what people are there for but it it's sort of one of those like one of the best episodes of the next generation is basically an entire episode dealing with what is sentience what does it mean to be human like what how do you figure out if somebody is like essentially like we can classify them as human or not. Um, and it's kind of a, a legal drama, but basically it, it's a couple of people talking about like what it is to be human. And that's what is considered one of the people's favorite episodes. And so I like, this is one of the ways I think that, uh, is telling people that this is very Star Trek in in the way that like that isn't the the dressing of it that isn't like yeah. the spaceships mm -hmm. and everything like that but it still has that same like we're going to deal with these concepts and like sit and talk about what that what it is what they are and and a perspective on it yeah for sure um I get I get that idea, which is we have these multiple barriers to pass with our fans. Yes, we've got to set it in the universe. Yes, we've got to connect some of the old characters and put it into the same story, so drop it in somewhere. But then there's yeah. this later gate that we have to pass, which is we got to deal with real shit, too, so that they know that we're still telling similar stories um, yeah. in consequence. And I, I exactly. like that a lot. Um not much left of the recap here, except that we get a really fantastic moment between Kira and Quark, where Quark takes a shot. He is uh, rejected outright by Kira here at the in the in the last moments. I don't think this yep. I don't think this is over though. Uh, Quark says he likes a woman in <laughs> uniform. I think he's going to shoot a shot a few more times. Yep. Um, so this. Oh, uh, and, and then we also have that the um, when he gets back. And then the, these folks have granted the right to use the wormhole. They can, yes. they can now use it. Yeah. Um, and so like this sort of describes, this sets the scene for basically the rest of the show in terms of our main characters, where they are, like some of the things that they're just going to have to deal with. Um, and, you know, my, more minor things like what, relationships that that people are going to have that that are gonna 
be in in the rest of the series and one of the fun things that um this show has like and i feel like it's not not all that many shows have where there's an evolution of the interpersonal relationships of the characters where they change over time and they change fairly they can change fairly significantly over time um and you know we see some of the surface and some of the depth already um in terms of uh like what those relationships are um one of my one of the the best ones uh that is there throughout the the series is Corkinodo and we get very early on that Quark's like Odo accuses Quark of being a, a gambler and a thief and Quark says I'm not a if thief I'm a thief you haven't been able to catch me for four years so not a thief yeah he says that in this episode too um yeah exactly yeah. and so like that we see that there's like a history there but but also kind of like a an adverse adversarial but not um not spiteful relationship um yeah. and you know we'll we'll see that evolve over time and it, it it's interesting isn't that a very like 90s thing to do though where it was like we've got this story it gets really really serious high stress we kind of wrap it all in a bow and then we end on this really lighthearted moment of like joshing <laughs> between two characters. And then it kind of like, you know, like soft lighting, you know, freeze the screen, play some music and boom, hit the credits. Like that's kind of how they would yeah. do it in the nineties. Uh, so what's, I think, I think that's another interesting part of this is that like there was an effect from the time period that this was made on the storytelling. It's probably a little bit more slight than other shows, right? It's not as hyper nineties and yeah. hyper, uh, uh, hyper of the time as some of these other shows, but there's little things that bleed in. Yeah. Oh, uh, women's hairstyles. Uh, like it, it's, if you watch Kira's hair, you can tell like immediately, like when it is in the nineties. Yeah. It's like the Elaine hair in Seinfeld, like the big hair. The yeah, big perms. exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, that's the recap done. Uh, what do you want to talk about in the way of segments? Um, so there are a couple of uh, segments that I want to do. Um, one of the segments isn't going to appear for a while, um, mm -hmm. and which is uh, let's talk about Garrick. Um, he is probably my favorite character in Deep Space Nine. Uh, he is a very weird character um, and will get into to who he is and what he is um, when he shows up. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're get, definitely going to do that. Um, I'd like to do a... Um, how sassy is Odo this episode? Because <laughs> um, that, that'll be all over the map. Uh, we had two kind of sassy uh, moments with, with, uh, with Odo. Um, and Little prickly. Hmm? Little prickly, little prickly that Odo. Little prickly, but also just just has these one-liners like uh, most people wouldn't know reason if it walked up and shook their hand. I mean, just like he'll he'll pepper stuff like that. 
you know, didn't he land the back end of that and some sort of like insult to the Cardassians? Like he said, most people wouldn't know reasons. And this guy even worse, like somehow he landed like yeah. that oh, guy yeah. was even the worst part of yep. that. Yeah. Um, um, he's okay. got a lot of those. And then lastly, I, I want to talk about um, your, your concept of Starfleet and the Federation and like what they are in the world. Because okay. I like, I'm curious because, like, because I started off with the next generation, and uh, like, this is very different. And like, I'm I'm curious, like, what your concepts are and how they evolve throughout the the show. Well, I can tell you what mine is right now. Um, yeah, is that it seems like it's the idealized version of the UN. It's the new Republican star Wars. It's the, um, post events, of Lord of the Rings, Gondor. It's the, we've all come to get all the good guys basically have come together. Um, yeah. or it, it, let me, let me rephrase that. All of the good guys within this specific area have come together. There might be like good guys that exist like in the outer areas or whatever that aren't a part of this yet, but they, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and we've formed together and we try to guide the events of the universe. We're trying to aid, aid folks. We're the, you know, we're the, the presence that assists in situations like this. When you have a world that's been occupied, torn up, now can't support itself. We're the people you call in because we're the good guys in the universe However, I suspect um, that there will be issues with that, that, that they're yeah. not perfect themselves, right? Because there's no way that you can have an organization that has the type of stature and presumably power that this organization must have to be called in in a situation like this um, without some corruption or some scope creep at some point. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good, good read so far. Um, the other thing that I sort of want to mention uh, because it it ends up playing a fairly big role in pretty much every iteration of Star Trek, which is the Prime Directive. Um, I don't remember if it has like an exact um, statement, but basically it's we're not here to meddle in a society. Like we're not here to change the course of like a species history and like what they would do um but like if they can reach out and like contact the greater uh you know get off their planet and and start start having conversations where that would be like hey how's it going um you know what can what can we do mm-hmm. um but but you know if if they find a world where you know they're they're in the stone age they're not going to come in and be like all right so let's tell you about phasers right and yeah. replicators um that makes sense and so you know this is sort of always um i i think each series does it a little bit differently but basically there's always a all right well you have a world where something's going badly at what point do you say like no i'm going to save people and at what point do you go, well, I'm not allowed to interfere. And so we have a little bit of this here uh, in the conversation between Cisco and Picard, where Picard says, 
basically everything short of like a letter yeah. violation of the prime directive like you need to do to bring them into the fold right yeah because he's a true believer right yes. I, I think i got that from picard right away is that he's a yeah. true believer i i don't i didn't sense that our guy cisco was at the start of this thing i don't know where he lands yeah okay that that's interesting um great well what other what other things we should we should be discuss here um i think that that um i think over the the course of the handful of episodes we're gonna um have uh you know different segments um it's been a while since i've watched deep space nine um and so i think that like there are there are going to be different arcs um where like there are specific things that we want to talk about cool um and so um uh, you know i think eventually we're going to get to how much do we hate gold ducat on a scale of uh you know seven to ten um (laughs) (laughs) from a lot to a whole lot yeah exactly um so um and i like i think that you know maybe we'll 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 have to come up with a good name for it but um i think cisco's like moral struggles is is gonna be like an interesting one it's not gonna be in every episode um but but that is one of the sort of recurring uh themes of I mean, in general, moral struggles, honestly, um, because a lot of different characters goes through, like, has to deal with, like, what what sort of choices are they going to make within their morality? Yeah, I think that that works. Um, yeah, we'll definitely build on segments, add segments as we go. I think this is a pretty good starting point though for us. I mean, I, I introduced to the world, talked a little bit about expectations versus reality, which is... Um, just my initial blush at this, and this is just like 12 seconds into this is that like, yeah, maybe, maybe the general conversation about Star Trek might not be fair that, that it's like super complicated, hard to get into. You have to basically watch a million hours to understand it. It seems to me like I was thrown in, in the middle, clearly in the middle of the story and, um, was able to, to grab and enjoy the first episode with no problems. It was entertaining. So, uh, that, that right away, something interesting to me. And then I think we we will also have a dis- decision to make on how we want to cover it. If we want to start grouping multiple episodes together, I think at minimum we can just go to episode two and do episode two and see how that goes. If we find there's not a lot of meat on the bone and that we'd, we'd like to maybe do three, four five together, something like that. We have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that that's going to be good. Um, that there are definitely going to be, Um, And then the other thing that we can do is do some shorter, like, much shorter episodes where, uh, you know, they're they're sort of less interesting. Um, So, so yeah. I had a lot of fun. Great. Yeah, this was good. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back with you probably next week. I think we can do this week probably for a while. We'll be back with you next week for the episode two of Deep Space Nine. 